Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Lidditz and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. morning we're going to transition into the message. Um, my name is again Steve Martinez. I'm the director of student ministries here at Grace Church and it's always uh, just a privilege to be able to share God's word with you uh, this morning and I'm looking forward to how God will speak to you this morning. Well we're going to continue our series of true worship by talking about worship and suffering. Now, there's many different ways to worship God, but my mind goes right to music, and I want to share a story with you about when my wife uh, gave birth to our daughter, Olivia. Now, hold on, I'm not going to get graphic, not going to go any kind of crazy details, okay? I just want to share with you this memory that just sticks to my mind when I think about that whole experience, right? You see, um, Olivia was a little bit late. She was two weeks late. So Ashley had to be induced for Olivia's birth. So on the day that Ashley was to be induced, we went to the hospital and brought everything that we needed and everything we hoped that could make that whole experience more comfortable. Now I know there's nothing that could have made that experience more comfortable, um, but we brought everything we could to try to make, it, to, to try to make her experience more comfortable. Uh, <clears throat> but there were two items that Ashley brought that were very, very important to her. The first was a picture of her late father. Um, Ashley lost her father when she was a senior in high school to ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And this picture was a picture of him holding her just minutes after she had been born. So it's such a really special picture to her. And so she had that next to her. And then next to that, excuse me, next to that was a Bluetooth speaker. And from that speaker was playing music from her favorite worship group, Shane and Shane. She has loved these guys since the beginning, since high school. She has seen them live, and she still listens to them today uh, in our house. She plays them all the time. But on that particular day, she was listening to them as we were anxiously waiting for Olivia to arrive. Excuse me, got a little something in my throat. Um, There we go. Now, as the pain got worse, I was doing a little more anxious praying than than listening to music, but even through the pain, Ashley continued to listen to Shane and Shane. Now, there was a certain point where there was just a lot of screaming, and so we had to turn the music off, and, uh, but several hours later, Olivia arrived, and we got to experience this incredible little baby girl come into the world, and uh, she was our daughter, Olivia. Now, the reason I bring up this worship group, Shane and Shane, is because this group, again, has been with Ashley for a long time and is very, very meaningful to her. Their music brought her through the loss of her dad, uh, brought her through the loss of her mom, uh, through several years of insomnia and other times of pain and suffering. And one of the reasons, biggest reasons, she loves this group is because they sing large portions of the Bible with powerful, powerful truths. And it's the truths from these songs that carry, has carried Ashley through these difficult times. 
This morning, we're going to look at a story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, um, about where Paul and Silas provide a powerful testimony to what it looks like to worship in their suffering and how God works through them to bring people to a saving faith in Jesus. So I'm going to pray. Oh, thank you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive right into this story. So pray with me. Father, thank you so much for uh, this morning. Thank you for the students. Thank you for the kids that were here. God, I pray that your spirit would just move and that you would speak to us this morning. Encourage our hearts, lift up our spirits, Lord, and help us to just be, to just to worship you and be enamored by you. God, I just pray, um, especially right now, I lift up people in suffering right now, Lord. I think of the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia, Lord, and the surrounding countries, God, that are going through pain and suffering right now, tremendous loss. And God, it's also just incredible to see, talking about worshiping in their suffering, videos of these Ukrainian Christians in subways and, and underground praising and worshiping you, even though their country is being attacked. God, we just pray and lift them up, Lord. Protect them. Put your hand of protection on them, God. And we just ask that your will would be done and uh, that your kingdom would come. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 16, 16 to 24 is the first half of the, uh, first half of the story. And uh, yeah, I will read those for us. And starting in verse 16, it says, As we, Paul and his group of ministry partners, were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. So, in this part of the chapter, we have a couple of amazing stories. We're going to see how God works in the hearts of some very unlikely people and uses some extraordinary ways to lead them to a saving faith in Jesus. We start in verse 16, where Paul introduces this slave girl who has a spirit of divination and is a fortune teller. It's fascinating to see how incredibly accurate the description of Paul and Silas was. Did you catch it? In verse 17, it says, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. I mean, that's pretty spot on. That's accurate of these men. And so we, we see that in the names uh, that God has in the Old Testament, the Old Testament uses to identify the God of Israel as the Most High or the Most High God. And we don't know how the slave girl knew this, but we can probably come to the conclusion that this demonic spirit inside her knew this Most High God. 
And it's interesting to parallel these encounters with the encounters that Jesus had while he was here on this earth. If, for those of you that remember the story of Jesus casting out the legion of demons inside of this, this, this man and sending them into the herd of pigs, this legion of demons knew exactly who Jesus was. He says to Jesus, what do you have to do with us, son of the most high God? These spirits knew exactly who they were dealing with. They knew who had the authority. They knew who had the power, and they were scared of this Jesus and the most high God. That's exactly what's happening here, right? This spirit knew exactly who he was up against, this most high God. Well, Paul didn't believe that the sound of a demon-possessed fortune teller helped his ministry. In fact, Luke tells us that he became greatly annoyed at this spirit. Paul's authority and message was from Jesus, right? So Paul knew that allowing this demon-possessed fortune teller to continue on and to make these claims hindered the gospel that he was trying to preach because people could have easily thought that this message was from this girl or this spirit instead of the all-powerful Jesus. So after allowing her to go for many days like this, Paul in 18 finally has had enough, and he commands the spirit to come out of the girl. Paul didn't ask or didn't invite. He didn't say, pretty please, come out. No, he commands in the power of Jesus to come out of this girl. And the spirit left her at that very moment. Now, before we move on, I want to make a couple of more observations regarding this supernatural encounter, right? First, exorcisms in the New Testament point to the power and the glory of God. Point to the power and the glory of God, not the person who performs the exorcism. The power to command demons out of a person does not come from Paul, does not come from another apostle, but it comes from Jesus alone. From Jesus alone. Secondly, when demons were cast out in the New Testament, that person received physical healing and spiritual healing. This is important to remember because what happened to this slave girl was she was freed from this demon possession, but she also had this new relationship with Jesus now that included the Holy Spirit. This girl not only had a demon cast out of her, but she received salvation in Jesus. See, in in Grace Students, over the last several months, we've been talking about these encounters that Jesus has had with these people that have had sicknesses and that have had demons inside them. And when Jesus casts out these demons, we see that Jesus heals them physically of their disease or of the demon possession, but he also heals them spiritually. Jesus is concerned with physical healing and spiritual healing. And so we see that Jesus is concerned with both of these healings, and he heals people from their physical suffering, but also he heals their spiritual suffering, the disease of sin. And then that person is declared right in the eyes of God. That person becomes a child of God. So while this healing was uh, good uh, for this girl, was good news for her, it was bad news for others. It was bad news for for, for other people. Because in verse 19 we read, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. You see, this poor, poor girl was in, was in double bondage, double slavery. She was possessed by a demon, but she was also a slave to other people. She was a slave to other people. And this healing was bad news for them because 
their slave was the one that was making money for them. They knew because this girl was healed and couldn't tell fortunes now, their income was gone. So the owners of this girl took Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace, and they brought them before the local magistrates. You see, the marketplace, that it was a place of business and it was a place of trade, but it was also a place where magistrates were, where these rulers were, where they could hear and resolve disputes right on the spot. And that's exactly what happened. Paul's accusers charged him with first disturbing the city and uh, promoting customs that are not lawful for Romans to accept or practice, is what the passage says. So now before you think these accusers were wrong, they actually, they actually had a point. They actually had a point. You see, preaching the gospel and proselytizing was unlawful in the Roman Empire. So Paul and Silas were breaking the law because they were evangelizing. So the owners of this slave girl didn't even mention the exorcism, but instead claimed that they were a threat to the city and they were trying to persuade people to believe in Jesus. So before things got out of hand, the magistrates saw the mob forming, saw the people getting ready to fight, right? And they said, okay, we're going to order Paul and Silas to be stripped and beaten with rods and then thrown into prison. Now, I want to expound on this a little bit because, you know, these beatings just weren't like little switches or, you know, little, little sticks where they just, you know, hit them really quick and then threw them into prison. No, these were, I mean, think baseball bats, right, where they could just hold on to and strike Paul and Silas in the face, in the chest, in the legs, and just brutally torture them. And this was no, this was no prison like today, right? where you have a bed and you have a toilet and you get three square meals a day and maybe you get some cable TV and a weight room. No, this was, think of deep, dark, wet, cold, gross dungeon where who knows if they got food, probably rat infested, and chances are the torture and the, and the judgment was going to continue. See, in the Roman Empire, a prison, uh, in the Roman Empire, a prison not only housed convicted criminals, but it also held people who were awaiting their future judgment. So even though Paul and Silas were already beaten, because they were thrown into prison meant more punishment was probably coming. So that probably meant more beatings, or maybe exile, or maybe even death. And since Paul and Silas were being accused of trying to undermine the authority of the Roman Empire, probably what was coming next was execution. But what happens next is a miraculous event. Let's continue reading now, and we're going to finish the story. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34 says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them to that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So while in prison, Paul and Silas do what? They, they spend time praying and singing hymns to God. Praying and singing while they're in prison. That's not the first thing that comes to my mind if I know I'm about to be thrown into prison. My mind goes to crying and getting in the fetal position. Like, this is incredible, the response that they have. Right? This is incredible. It's so surprising. Right? How? How could Paul and Silas be praying and singing during this time of suffering? That is the question that I want to answer before our time is done this morning. All right, we're going to finish our story, but that's the question. How? How is that possible? We're going to get to that. But as they sang and they prayed, a divine earthquake shook the foundations of the prison and the doors flew open, chains released the prisoners. And following such a miraculous event, you would expect, right? Prisoners are like, I'm gone. I'm out of here. And they would run free. But the jailer, of course, assumes this too and prepares to take his own life because the punishment for letting prisoners free is death. And so Paul cries out, don't harm yourself because we're all here. He urges the jailer not to hurt himself because he would have never thought that the prisoners would have remained in their prison. But that's exactly what happened. And so the jailer recognizes that this is no ordinary earthquake. These are no ordinary prisoners, and he can't help but just be completely blown away because he knew Paul and Silas were very unique prisoners because who prays and sings when they're in jail? And in the midst of their suffering, so we see God use the faithfulness of Paul and Silas to have an incredible impact on this jailer. The jailer can't comprehend this. He can't comprehend this. It it doesn't process for him. And this scene sets the stage for the most important question that anyone can ever ask in their life. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? So this incredible example of worship and suffering, this incredible example of even in the midst of difficulty and suffering, Paul and Silas provide a powerful testimony to the jailer. He falls to the ground and asks how to be saved. He has seen God in in Paul and Silas. He has seen the power of God work through and around Paul and Silas. And this power on display leads him to ask the question, what must I do to be saved. This is how the power of God can work through his people. When we worship in our suffering, people take notice and sometimes can't comprehend how we respond in this way, even during a difficult time. So church, whatever it is you may be going through, people take notice how we respond. As Christians, people take notice how we respond. We can respond in a way that says, God, I trust you because I know you're sovereign. God, I trust you because I know that you know what's best for me, that you're going to work all things out together for good and for your purpose. We can respond in a way that has incredible impact on the people around us. And by God's grace, we can add people to the family of God when they see that. 
As we finish the story, we see how Paul answers, right? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And the belief that Paul talks about here is way more than just intellectual belief, right? This is not enough for salvation. Paul is talking about a deep belief, a belief that involves the will, involves faith, and involves everything inside you. So if you aren't a part of the family of God yet, or you aren't a child of God, if you place your deep belief and faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you place your faith in the person and work of what Jesus has done, Jesus, the God-man who came to this earth, who lived a sinless life, who died the death that we should have died, and rose again on the third day to prove to everyone that he is who he says he is, and to give us forgiveness of sins, you will be saved. So that's exactly what happens. Paul um, and Silas go to the jailer's house, and we have to make just one more quick observation uh, because it says you and your household will be saved. So when a person comes to place their faith in Jesus, their family will often follow. But the faith of one family member never saves another individual from their sins. However, their testimony and life can provide a huge opportunity for the gospel to be shared in their household. So House of Champions Sunday, right? Moms, dads, speaking to you right now, mothers, fathers, as we love our children and as we teach them the truths of the gospel, as we display the character of Jesus to our kids, by God's grace, our children might come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And they will place their faith in Jesus too. Verse 32 also sheds some light into what Paul was saying. Paul and Silas went to the jailer's house, spoke the word of the Lord, presented the gospel, and the jailer's household came to place their faith in Jesus. And we see evidence of their faith and their transformed lives when we see the jailer and his family wash the wounds of, of Paul and Silas, and we, he gives them food, they give them food, and he cares for them. Just an incredible story about worship and suffering. But now I want to transition. I want to answer that question, how? How is Paul and Silas able to worship while they suffered? I am going to argue that they were sure of two incredible truths. I'm sure there was a, a plethora, plethora of other promises and truths that they were holding on to, but I want to share with you two that are directly from the mouth of Paul. This is in Romans chapter 8. If you turn there with me, we're going to look at verses 18 to 24. And here I want to share with you two powerful truths that I believe Paul and Silas clung on to. Verse 18 starts, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the Spirit awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The Spirit of our 
the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. So, first truth that Paul knew, the suffering of this present life doesn't compare to the glory of Jesus. In the second part of verse 17, which was our memory verse for our last series, Adore, right? It says that we are heirs with Jesus. We share in an inheritance. But it also says we, that second part, we share in his sufferings. The question is then, is it worth it? Is that inheritance worth it? Is the inheritance Christians been given worth all the suffering and heartache of living as a child of God in this life? Paul's answer here is an emphatic yes. Paul says that our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that Jesus will be revealed to us. If you know that after this life, your future is in the arms of Jesus, is in the presence of God, nothing is going to compare to that. Nothing is going to compare to that. So when you face current problems and you face pain, there's no comparison to the future glory of being with Jesus. This is when our faith will become sight, when everything we know about God and about heaven will be fully realized and fully revealed right in front of our eyes. So you might be asking, what else is part of this glorious inheritance? And this is what Paul talks about in the next few verses. All of creation is waiting with eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So there's a day coming that will be so incredibly powerful that when it arrives, the whole created order will be restored. Okay, along with God's children, we, with nature, we will bring nature along with us to a renewed, restored, redeemed reality. All wrongs will be made right and all evil will be destroyed and we will be as perfectly as holy as Jesus and we will shine as brightly and shiningly as he is. That is what glory is. That is what glory is. So will it be worth it? Absolutely. Because the suffering of this present life won't compare to that future glory. Now, I want to make one thing clear that I know in this life it still hurts. Right? In, these, in this body, it still hurts. There's still pain. There's still suffering. There's still heartache. But church, there is a day coming. There's a day coming that will be like nothing that we can even put into words. We will be in front of the presence of God where we will be renewed, where there will only be joy, there will be no disease, there will be no suffering, there will be no pain, there will be no viruses, there will be no war, there won't be racism, there won't be any of that. None of that. And when we're in the presence of God, all the memories of the pain and of loss are just going to vanish away. They're just going to be gone. All evil will be eradicated. There will be no more sin. And so the second truth that Paul clings on to is the future redemption of creation. All of creation. See, there's a reason why we don't enjoy this glory right now. And you see... In this passage, we read 
that it says that creation fell into sin because of Adam. So not only did humans feel the effects of sin, but all of creation with it. Creation is no longer what it was meant to be because, because of sin. And that's why creation waits in eager expectation to be fully restored and renewed. Because of sin, creation is in bondage to corruption. So just like we're broken because of sin, so is all of creation. All of creation is groaning like in the pains of childbirth, it says, knowing that freedom and liberation is on the way. The oceans, the mountains, the valleys, and the forests know that fulfillment, beauty, newness, and joy will be here soon. And this is why the best metaphor for this is a woman in childbirth. The painful jolts and suffering are not meaningless. Your pain is not meaningless because we know that it's preparing us for what is to come. This future that creation is looking forward to is the same future that we are looking forward to. So again, if you're still asking, will it be worth it? Even creation says yes. Yes, it's, it's worth it. Because this present pain and wonderful future that's ahead is why every Christian groans inwardly and eagerly waits like creation does. And just as a woman in labor does, a woman in labor suffers through the pain because she knows that the incredible joy of a beautiful new baby is close. Creation knows that redemption will be here soon. So to close the set of verses, to close the message, Paul points out one last truth. As Christians, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now what does that mean? That means that we have a taste of what our bodies will be like when we have complete and total freedom from the effects of sin and death. When the Holy Spirit works in you and me, sometimes it is through pain and suffering, but he works to make us more and more like Jesus. Those moments of victory and growth are just a taste of what is to come. We will be completely set free from sin and brokenness, and our bodies will be fully restored, fully redeemed, and made new again. Our adoption will be made complete. Paul in 2 Corinthians says that even though our outer body is wasting away, right, and some of us are experiencing that more than others right now, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So this is the hope that saves us. These two incredible truths are what gave Paul and Silas the strength and perseverance to pray and to sing through their suffering. They knew that the suffering of this world does not compare to the future glory that we're going to, that's going to be revealed to us and that we're going to experience. And they also understood that in the future, all of creation will be made new again. These truths can have, a, have the same impact on us. So know them well. Take them to heart. Students, whatever you go through, whatever you're going through, hold on to these truths. Hold on to what Paul is urging us to hold on to. These truths can have the same impact on us. And whatever the world throws at us, whatever we experience in this life, we can still take heart. And we won't be shaken, but we can stand firm in the truth of this good news. And even you and all of us together can worship even through suffering. Let's pray.
God, we thank you so much for these truths. We thank you for the, your word that has these truths in it. We, they aren't secrets, God. They're, they're right here in front of us, and we, we can read them, and we can memorize them, and we can bury them deep within our heart and with our soul and make them a part of us because, God, none of us are free from suffering yet. But, God, we're looking towards that day. We're looking towards that day of your glorious return or whether you bring us home to heaven before that. No matter which way, Lord, we're going to be in your presence. And all the evil of this world, all the sin in our bodies are going to be no more. All the brokenness of this world will be no more. And so, God, encourage our hearts today. May we worship today because of these truths. May we worship you and be encouraged and lifted up this morning. And may we share this truth with those around us. I ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.